0: To and, I and I started to do some thinking. Few I'm a really, really good time. Flat, black, like glassy. looking big splits and Saturday, and to you need it, too. I am a total
1: I am eternal, friendly, and <laughs> George <laughs> George is absolutely
0: right. I am <laughs> an adolescent. And I will cut the Henry,
2: Charlie here, yeah. I have a report.
3: Chief Nurse Major O'Houlihan, she makes some accusations, Henry, I I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man.
4: Captain Curls, up in the head, Mutiny Radio Festival, ahoy. Ah, very good, ah, very good, legless, Joe. I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. It's to get Ready! Crew, the festival is upon us! L- scurvy Steve, how many comics?
5: Over a hundred comics.
4: You're looking good, Scurvy Steve. Glad the scurvy hasn't taken you.
5: Aye, aye, Captain.
4: You, No Liver Mary, how many venues? We've got nine venues, sir! And you, boy, what's your name? Very good. And finally, Eleven Fingers Sally.
5: What about the tickets? You can find all of your tickets on Eventbrite, sir. Check out (laughs) www.mutinyradio.fm. What
4: is that? I don't know what a website is. I'm a pirate. (laughs) 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 But quick to the festival! All sales ahead. Pirate (laughs) noises. (laughs) (laughs) Ah,
6: He lost
7: that election, fair and I don't like
6: dictatorship what was of the rich? We now know. I don't like bureaucrats telling me what to eat in American history. I don't like police dogs sniffing round my feet. I don't like communist censorship of my books. I don't like Marxists complaining about my looks. I don't like Castro insulting members of my sex. Leftists insisting we got the mystic fix. I don't like capitalists selling me gasoline coke. Multinationals burning Amazon trees to smoke. Corporation takeover media mind. I don't like the Papa that are robbing Guatemala banks blind. I don't like it. the KGB gulag concentration camps. I don't like the Maoist Cambodian death dance. Fifteen million were killed by Stalin, the terrorist war. Has killed red revolution forevermore. I don't like anarchists screaming, "Love is free." I don't like the CIA; they killed John Kennedy. Paranoid tanks sit in Prague and Hungary, but I don't like another revolution paid for by the CIA tyranny in turkey or korea 1980 i don't like right-wing death squad democracy police state iran nicaragua yesterday they say fair please government keep the secret police off no hope communism no hope capitalism yeah The bloody iron curtain of American military power Is a mirror image of Russia's red battle tower Jesus Christ was spotless but was crucified by the mob Law and Order Herod's hired soldiers did the job Flower power's fine but innocence has got no protection a man who shot John Lenin had a hero worshiper's connection. The moral of this song is that the world is in a horrible place. Scientific industry devours the human race. Police in every country, are to teal, gas and TV. Secret masters everywhere, bureaucratized for you and me. Terrorists and police together build a lower-class rage. Propaganda murder manipulates the upper-class stage. Hmm. can't tell the difference between a turkey and a provocateur. If you're feeling confused, the government's in there for sure. Aware, aware. Bride your paranoia, dear. Breathe together with an ordinary mind. Honor, humor, feed and help enlighten. Woe, mankind.
2: Two live show. Now when they say one for all and all for one, this is exactly what they mean right here. Everybody need to take notes on this and just know that it looks so much better when you're sticking together.
8: Amigos, get about this motherfucker. Y'all got him fucked up. <laughs> look at him. They sent a couple of them home. They all packed they shit up and shut this motherfucker down. Nigga, who do y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man, this is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to God, I love this shit. They are packing they shit up and shutting this motherfucker, huh? Oh, uh, my mama, all that shit. <laughs> they are not bullshitting. They packed up, yeah, I see, it's over. Them motherfuckers now packed up and dipped. They thought they was going to play oh, with yeah. these amigos, and they said, oh, yeah, we rise together, homie and they leaving, and they not bullshitting. Take this in, man, look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going home, man. The SAs, look, ain't no grinding, cutting, welding. This motherfucker dead ass quiet. The Mexicans shut this motherfucker down, nigga, said fuck you, bitch. And Willie and Billy, see this what I'm talking about, baby? I swear to God, they got me and geeked up. Oh my Malcolm back shit, Oh my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. They said, fuck you, we out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow Oh my mama. That's great. Look, ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up. We're going home. It's all from am right with that nigga. Fuck it. Go to the crib. Go to the, go to the casa. Hasta la huego, me, muy bien. Yo, swear to God, these motherfuckers want play it, hey! You wanna get live? Subscribe.
7: Living in the wasteland of the
9: free. We got creatures dealing in politics and dynamite. Running races on corporate cash. Now don't tell me they don't turn around and kiss them people's ass. You may call me old-fashioned, but that don't fit my picture of a true democracy. And I'm real glad I am living in the wasteland. Making 200 times the workers' pay.
10: This is the B, and you're tuned to Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny Radio. Our studio is here on 2781 21st Street. Come on down, come on down to Mutiny and find your voice. That was unique. Start off our show today. All welcome. Hope you had good work. Hope it works out for you. We're here to tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Okay, we're gonna get right into it. Let's see if we can work on some credos here. Some of our credos that we stand by on this show. George Sand, French writer who had to take uh, a man's name in order to publish her work, wrote this: "Humanity is outraged in me and with me. We must not dissimulate nor try to forget this indignation." which is one of the most passionate forms of love. So where you see illegal injustice, be indignant, raise your voice, work to make the world better. People are being treated badly on all of us. George Sand. I don't want this how to publish on Amazon. Another one. Lawrence Frillin Getty's Pity the Nation. Pity the Nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero, aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own, and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the two well-fed. Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. okay this is Facebook Berlin <laughs> Getty never I get into Facebook I Okay, so we've got a show for you today, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff we got to get to, see what we can do with it. First of all, that set was "Capital Air by Allen Ginsberg. Towards the end of his career, he became a rock and roll singer. That's one of his uh, rock and roll songs, Capital Air. Followed that up with one of my favorite two minutes on. This was a um, situation in a distribution site, I believe in Indiana. And most of the employees were Mexican. And one day the boss, the the Mexican workers elected some representatives and went to the management and said there was this guy who was abusive and who was treating them poorly. The company promptly fired all the representatives who came to see it, as companies do, and when all the Mexican workers heard about this, They walked off the job, that was our commentator, a guy who happened to have his phone, I suppose, took a film of it and provided that, the boolean, boolean, joyful. Commentary on the walk-off. Okay, we're gonna, the last, Song we heard was Iris Dement, and uh, with a beautiful protest song, "Wasteland of the Free," talking about the injustices and where problems' origin, greed. Today is close to the anniversary of the murder. Of a Chicano journalist, in Ruben Salazar in 1968, why his case is still alive for a lot of Chicanos? Teamsters ratified a contract. What's that about? What did they get? What did they give up? Hollywood is still on strike now, 113 days in. Controversy about Oliver Anthony's song, Rich Men North of Richmond. Billy Bragg took the song, tweaked it a little. Anthony insists that it's not a right-wing anthem. He's writing that song Among others, those eight people who were up on the debate stand in the Republican debate. Got labor history in two. One of the things is the story of Alan Pinkerton, cop for hire, one of the most detested people in American history. Situation Room talks about a woman who got shot killed putting up a flag, a gay friend's flag at her shop. What's happening? Montana kids win the right to expect a clean and healthy world. Now it's official. Movie Blindside has been called into question. And Dave Zirin talks about how it's just another piece of mighty whitey. Radio Labor has the story of the very first Starbucks union. We've got a new... Called Labor School. And a book called Just Cause talks about conflicts at work and what your rights are and what you can expect from arbiters. Arbiter. What dirty tricks the boss might on you, And I, I added this to the show because I'm following sort of passively uh, a read-it conversation called Against Work, Anti-Work. Look it up. It's compelling reading because it's r- people who are working people talking about their problems, mostly with their bosses. Now their bosses are trying to screw them, giving them fewer hours, taking away higher pay and replacing w- with lower pay and more hours. Um, I invite you to look at it. It's kind of m- mundane, but it's what's really happening day to day where the rubber meets the road, as we say, where the labor Okay, so let's get to it. Radio labor.
9: This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor.
10: First
11: Starbucks. This is a Radio Labor report recorded on Thursday, June 15th, 2023. I'm Mark Belanger.
12: On December 9th, 2021, we won the first Starbucks union in the U.S. at my store. <laughs>
11: That is Michelle Eisen. She was speaking at the 2023 Congress of the International Union of Food Workers. The IUF has 12 million members in countries all around the world. It is holding its Congress in Geneva, Switzerland, June 13th to 16th, 2023.
12: I started with Starbucks in 2010. I'm a production stage manager in the theater industry and I needed a flexible day job that would provide me with health benefits. Enter Starbucks a self-proclaimed progressive company that stated that they cared about the environment, the community, and their workers, or partners, as they referred to them. And for a time after I was hired, I really believed that to be the case. Fast forward to June of 2021. I, like hundreds of thousands of service workers in the U.S., worked through the bulk of the COVID pandemic in customer-facing positions, putting ourselves and our families at risk daily And in almost all cases, the companies that we worked for completely failed us. We were called essential, but we were treated as disposable. And I was done. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew I could not continue to work for a company that so blatantly undervalued its partners. At most, I had a few months left in me. Right before I was planning to leave, I received a text from one of my fellow workers. She asked if we could meet for a coffee after one of our shifts that week, which I thought was odd because we literally serve coffee all day. But I agreed, and it was at that meeting that she asked me what I thought about the possibility of Starbucks unionizing. To which I replied I'd never thought about it. I didn't know much about organized labor, but I did know that it included very little of the service industry and even less of the fast food service industry. But in spite of that, I asked her to tell me everything she could. When I was done, I calmly explained that while I was interested, I didn't know that I would have a lot of time to commit. After all, the theater industry was opening back up post-pandemic, and I was going to be very busy with production work. But I certainly had no intention of standing in their way. Then about a week after we filed our union petition, I was called into my first anti-union meeting with corporate. We sat in a circle at a hotel conference room and listened to Ross Ann Williams, the then president of Starbucks North America, tell us that we were all partners and that the company had already given us so much and at the same time she was threatening us. And I saw the looks on the faces of my coworkers as we were being bullied and manipulated into voting against our best interests. And that's the moment I realized that I could not take a passive role in this fight that not actively working against my fellow workers was not the same as standing with them. They concluded the meeting by saying they were just giving us the facts and that if we wanted more information about the union, we should contact a union rep. So I raised my hand and I said, I'm one of the partner organizers and I'd be happy to answer any questions any of you may have. And there was no turning back from there. On December 9th, 2021, we won the first Starbucks union in the U.S. at my store. Since then, our campaign has grown into a movement. As of today, we have over 320 unionized locations across the U.S., encompassing about 8,000 newly organized workers with more joining every day. I've been told many times that our campaign is different that it is unlike organizing campaigns of the past. And while that's true in some ways, it's more accurate to say that what Starbucks workers are doing is an extension of what many worker organizers throughout labor history have already done. We've been able to harness social media and video platforms to talk with workers across the country and globe, and these have been invaluable tools. But the most important lesson of our success is that the basic elements of organizing are the same as they were 100 years ago. Our movement is rooted in the the ability to connect with one another on a human level through the interests we share in our workplaces and industries. Using those techniques refined from previous organizing efforts, we have created a campaign that is largely worker-led. We refer to them as partner organizers. That means workers from organized stores connecting and helping workers organize at other stores. We also play large roles in other aspects of the campaign, such as communications, broader strategy questions, and media. I mentioned earlier how little I knew about organized labor before my involvement with this campaign, but that I knew it included very little of the fast food service industry. In large part, that was because it's an industry that has been long thought to be unorganizable for a multitude of reasons, some of the most apparent being the average age of the workforce, very young, and the notoriously high turnover rate both of which can seem like a deterrent to unions hoping to organize these workers. But I'd like to take this opportunity to remind people that there have been other industries in history that also fit this description and were also once thought to be a lost cause, but are now highly organized, meatpacking and home care industries being just two examples. Like many low-wage industries, there is a pervasive way of thinking that has been drilled into most food service workers that the jobs are unskilled, that we don't deserve fair wages and safe working conditions, that being disrespected regularly is just part of the job, and if we don't like it, we can work somewhere else. Anybody who has ever spent a day on the floor in one of these cafes can tell you that these jobs are far from unskilled. Our labor is valuable. It brings in billions of dollars a year for Starbucks, and without our labor, the business would simply cease to exist. And the same can be said for every large corporation that makes up this industry. I hope that this movement is a small step in changing that way of thinking. Despite this overwhelmingly negative response from Starbucks and companies like them, we have found ourselves at the forefront of a new labor movement. Workers recognize their power and are choosing to stand together to demand change, not only for themselves and the situation at present, but for future workers in their industry. This generation of workers is looking to solve workplace issues for the long term. We want our industry to be a career for those who choose that, not just a stop along the way. By fixing the workplace issues that lead to high turnover and allowing for worker retention, we can truly create an environment where a democratic workplace can thrive, leading to a strong, lasting union. But it takes a lot of support to organize an industry like ours, and a lot of unions would consider our campaign too big a risk to take on. Fortunately for us, Workers United and SEIU have been willing to take on that challenge in the US. Our hope now is to expand this beyond the borders of our country and truly make this a global movement. Starbucks is a multinational corporation, and it is safe to say that the poor treatment of their workers is consistent across the world. And Starbucks is just one company that fits this description. There are many, many more just like them. The workers in my industry are ready to take on this challenge. Are you ready to support them? I'm often asked what it will take to win this fight. And to me, the answer is simple, at least in theory. We continue to organize, we continue to support our fellow workers, we stand together to condemn Starbucks' anti-union behavior, and we ask the public and all of you to do the same. Because we're not only fighting corporate, but also the public brand of Starbucks. If Starbucks truly were the progressive company it professes to be, it would recognize our right to organize and be a leader in the industry, both in the U.S. and abroad. And I have a lot of hope that we will get there. But until then, we will continue to stand together, and we will continue to fight together.
10: That was the organizer of the first uh, Starbucks to organize, talking about the problems that she had, energy of Starbucks workers. M- maybe what you need to do, if you want to help it a little, when you go to a Starbucks, because I know we're all going to Starbucks, Ask the barista if it's a union shop. Sometimes it makes them uncomfortable, but that's not the point. The point is that that's important to the community, and it's something that people are asking about. Maybe they'll go and tell their supervisors. Maybe other people will hear that and decide, yeah, well, maybe it's time for us to have a. Anyway, go on to the writer's strike. They've been out for
0: quite a while. My production schedules, when you're looking at the 2024.
13: At the Rejected the latest proposal from production studios. Studios made the summary of their latest offer, Public, in a move that the WGA is describing as an attempt to try and get members to turn on one another. The studio's proposal promises a guaranteed minimum of two writers per production, a guaranteed minimum of 10 weeks of work for development room writers, certain AI-related protections, and a training structure for writers to become future showrunners. That proposal was the first counteroffer presented to the union since the strike began more than 100 days ago. The Guild says the proposal, quote, failed to sufficiently protect writers from the existential threats caused us to strike in the first place. The WGA also represents writers here at CBS News, but they are under a different contract and are not on strike. Elaine Lowe joins us now. She's a staff writer for The Ankler. Uh, so Elaine, we've listed some of what was in that counter from the studios. Talk to us about why the union rejected it. Was there any hope that it was actually going to gain traction? What, what really was the sticking point?
0: So for context, going into this week, the mood was pretty hopeful. The studios and the writers had met about four or five times over the last couple of weeks uh, for the first time in the 100-plus days that the writers have been on strike since May. So it seemed like there was really progress going. And when the studios released their full suite of proposals Tuesday night, uh, that came as a surprise to uh, many of the writers because both sides had promised to be on media blackout and aside from the proposals themselves that move was seen as a tactic to try and circumvent uh the writers and try and to divide them as for the proposals themselves as uh, wga leadership put it themselves it was quote not nothing yet not nearly enough and they believe it doesn't go far enough in order to help codify some of the protections that they're looking for in order to preserve the writers room and to preserve the profession as they see it now
13: so what about making that latest offer public? Is that creating a rift among union members?
0: Actually, if the intention was to create a rift, it backfired. And the writers have been, it seems, more unified than ever. There was a very strong outcry over that tactic Tuesday night. Although although a source close to the studios that I spoke to said that uh, the... Uh, intent for the AMPTP, which represents the major studios like Netflix and Disney and Warner Brothers for them to release it was actually to show everyone that they had been trying to make progress that they had been trying to work more toward the middle uh, from their initial position in May. Uh, But again, the writers uh, did not take to that well and see see it as an attempt at a divisive tactic.
13: Well, the WGA says this is the first counteroffer it's received from the studios. Does this open the pathway for both sides to continue working together at the bargaining table? And I think the other question that everybody wants to know is, what does this mean in terms of when our favorite shows might be able to return? Are we still looking at uh, at a complete like unknown mm-hmm. on that point?
0: Well, when it comes to the consumer, uh- From what I understand, a lot of folks have been saying, if this thing goes past mid-September, if this goes into the fall, then it really causes massive delays. When you're talking about uh, getting writer's rooms in gear, when you're talking about production schedules, when you're looking at the 2024 box office schedule or TV schedules and things wind up getting bottlenecked and having to be pushed. And I was just talking to an actor yesterday who said essentially when it comes to uh, auditions and booking things, her entire year is shot. And that's not an uncommon sentiment that you'll hear among folks on the studio side as well when it comes to planning, uh, because we're already, we may only be in August uh, and only two thirds of the way through the year, but essentially this town kind of goes dark after Thanksgiving. uh, So you're looking at a very limited amount of time for when there's a contract and for that to be ratified by membership and to get the whole Hollywood machine back in action again.
13: All right, Elaine Lowe, Elaine, thank you.
10: Okay, there it is. Which side are you on? Um, Which side are you on? Writers or the uh, big studios? Of course, you want your shows back. (coughs) Everybody wants their shows back. But What do we have to do to get it? What do we have to give up to get our shows back? Okay, let's turn to uh, this controversy now about a song called Richmond, North of Richmond. And what we're going to do is play the song and play Billy Bra- Bragg's changes that he put into it and then what the guys are saying what people are saying here's the song itself
14: i've been selling my soul working all day overtime hours for bullshit pay so i can sit out here and waste my life away drag back home and drown my troubles away a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me people like you wish I could just wake up and it not be true but it is Oh, it is living in the new world with an heart out for miners and not just miners on an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street ain't got nothing to eat and the old beast milking welfare God, if you're five foot three and you're three hundred pounds taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground cause all this damn country does is keep on kicking them Lord, it's a damn shame What the world's gotten to you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do, cause your dollar ain't shit, and it's taxed to no end, cause the rich men North the rich men. selling my soul working all day over time hours for bullshit pay
10: Now here's Billy Bragg's comment on the song. Billy
15: Bragg Bragg, welcome to you I mean there was a lot in uh, Oliver Anthony's song that you quite liked I mean there are a lot of attacks for example on big businesses and and the salaries they pay
16: yeah, when he, when he opens up, talking about, you know, he's working overtime hours for Rotten Pay. You know, I I, I thought this is my kind of music. Um, you know, he, at one point he talks about, you know, people homeless on the street with nothing to eat. I mean, you know, these are the people we should be singing about. But then he, he immediately follows up by attacking the obese who he says are um, a milk in welfare. And it's kind of like took a sudden uh, right, I have to say, a sudden right turn. And he seemed to me to be having started talking about you know, everybody and the troubles that they're facing, he suddenly started punching down, and I found that a little bit troubling.
15: But why shouldn't he be allowed to uh, grumble about uh, people who he perceives as uh, fiddling uh, welfare benefits? I mean, we know from uh, polling here in the UK that a lot of working-class people in this country take a dim
16: view of that. Yeah, it's true, but, you know, the majority of people on benefits are in work. I mean, that's the, that's the harsh reality. So by picking on the, you know, he says in the song, he talks about he says, if you're under five foot three and 300 pounds uh, and you're eating something called fudge rounds, fudge rounds I've found out are a kind of uh, chocolate biscuit. Um, you know, the reasons why people might be overweight, why they might be comfort eating are multi, you know, multitudinous. They're not doing it because they're, you know, living, living high on on welfare payments, you know, and uh, Oliver Anthony, I understand myself has had problems with, with mental health. I mean, if you're a person who had a difficult childhood of, always found it hard to hold down a job because of your mental health you find you know that leads to you you know comfort and there's nowhere where you live other than fast food places you end up being overweight you find a little bit of comfort in chocolate biscuits I mean are we really going to blame those people for the problems of the homeless on the street with nothing to eat I don't think so I think perhaps the problem might lie somewhere else maybe so uh,
15: you've written a song in response to this what uh triggered you to to go to take that particular approach
16: well, triggered is a rather heavy word, I think, to use, in. It. It's not so much being triggered. It's There's a there's a great tradition of response songs in pop music, in country music. Woody Guthrie famously wrote This Land Is Your Land in response to God Bless America in 1940. So I thought maybe that's the way I can kind of talk to him, because I don't think um, Oliver Anthony is a, a right-wing guy who's trying to stir up culture war. I think, like many of us, he's trying to make sense of a world in which it's difficult to find compassion it's difficult to find empathy i mean i feel that all the time so i thought maybe i could write a song that replied that offered him a you know a a suggestion of maybe coming together working with other people you know trying to work out a way of resolving his problems i was more like a, a advice really i'm not having a go at him i mean good luck to him he's number one in america i hope that this allows him to find a way to make a living making music because you know that's a real privilege to enjoy but i just think the way he starts the song and then where it goes, the two don't really add up. So I just thought I'd give him some kind of comradely advice.
15: <laughs> Do you think um, he's a product, in in a way, of his society and way because he, he comes from Virginia, which of course is is coal mining territory, yeah. but it has uh, a Democrat uh, representative yeah. who quite often sides with the Republicans yeah. and and takes socially mention, conservative yeah. causes.
16: Yeah, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. I think more in, more interestingly, I think you'll find that. In terms of welfare, rural America benefit more in welfare payments than urban America because, first of all, you've got farm subsidies. Farm subsidies are huge in the United States of America. Their farming industry, would, particularly the small farmers, would collapse. So I think a lot of people that are, you know, living where he lives, he, live, he lives in a place called Farmville. I mean, <laughs> you can't get much more rural than that, could you? And I think that maybe, you know, maybe he's looked around and thought about the hard times he sees, and he's trying to, you know, stir up some... Some compassion for those people who do feel that they're working jobs that are not getting anywhere, and I have a lot of compassion for those people as well. But the answer that he offers, which is to blame uh, overweight people, uh, to blame people on welfare, I think he's he's falling for the old trick that capital always plays, which is if it can get working people to argue with one another, if it can get them to argue about you know, things like racial hierarchy, that's a very important issue in the United States of America. Or the culture wars, you know, arguing about those kind of things, arguing about bathrooms, then they won't be arguing about what Wall Street is doing to them, what Wall Street's done to their town, because that's where the problem is. There is a place north of Richmond that needs sorting out. It's Wall Street.
15: Do you think uh, a chance was missed in the United States a few years ago? I mean, there was a guy called J.D. Vance, who's now a Republican politician, of course. He was a Wall Streeter, but he came from this sort of... Appalachian background, you know, wrote a book called Hillbilly Elegy, and a lot of people looked at that at the time and thought, well, maybe we need to explore some of the issues that he's talking about, opioid dependency, uh,
16: um, for example. Has has that chance been missed, do you think? In this song, I think perhaps there has. What he's done, he's kind of divided up the deserving poor, as he sees them, with what he thinks of as the undeserving poor. And I think that's really pernicious to do that. You know, if people are having a hard time, they need a bit of help. As I say in the song, you know, we're not gonna punch down to people in need. Uh, we're not gonna punch down to people who need a bit of understanding and some solidarity. And I think, unfortunately, you know, in a country as divided as the United States of America, a little bit more understanding between those people, north and south of Richmond, would really come in handy. And and I, and I don't think he does it intentionally. This is the thing, as I say, I've got nothing against Anthony, um, and he's where he's coming from. But un- unintentionally, I think he's helped to stir up that division rather than ameliorate it. And I don't think that was in, his intention of what he said about his politics. He said he's pretty much a down the middle of the aisle kind of guy. So I don't think he was particularly going out there to stir up shit like that Jason Alden song about um, try that in a small town. I mean, that really was, a you know, someone who was trying to cause division. But I think Anthony uh, has just kind of put forward his ideas. He's not really just made the, the connections. And I was hoping with my song to be able to help him to make those connections billy i must just apologize
15: because you said a rude word there so apologies to any of the uh, viewers who might have been offended by that Um,
16: i'm so sorry i do apologize myself i didn't even realize i said it i'm so sorry i have to go back and look what it was oh i'm so sorry about that what did uh, i say socialism uh
15: no no it was a a four-letter word um what about um you, you, the union movement i mean you, you've been singing about the unions for uh 40 years or more you know there was a power there's a power in the union and, and so on how, how do you gauge the, the health of the union movement globally right now
16: well i think people are getting more organized i mean you know I, earlier this year i was every week i was playing on a different uh, picket line you know the royal college of nursing were out on strike for the very first time i was working with um uh, the uh, Ambulance drivers. I was out on strike with those. The teachers as well, obviously, been out on strike. And it was the same. The last time I was in the United States, of America, I was uh, did a, a gig on a, a a picket line outside of Starbucks, a branch of Starbucks. And those those were, you know, they were kids. I mean, I know I'm an old guy, and I'm 65, but the people organising there were all under 30. Some of them were under 20. And I think this is the way it is, particularly for the younger generations who realise that they are not going to be as Um, as well off or better off than their parents they're looking around and thinking themselves well what can we do about this and one of the things they can do it doesn't solve all your problems but one of the things you can do is organize in the workplace so you have a little bit of agency over your life so you have a little bit of agency over the the amount of um, shifts you have to work what your hours are what the health and safety is these are really really important things and in the US I mean they they have a lot of anti-union laws so that's a really, really important issue to be putting across to people as a way of resolving or at least addressing their problems. Okay, Billy, we've got to leave it there. Sixty-five is the new forty-five,
15: by the way. I we'll wouldn't worry about that. Good <laughs> to talk to you. Thank you, mate.
10: Okay, there's Billy Bragg, <clears throat> responding to Oliver Anthony, and um, I like to get Oliver Anthony. Read this, this statement, I guess is what we call it. The singer Oliver Anthony, whose song Rich Men of Richmond, north of Richmond, soared to the top of the billboard sales chart, released a YouTube video on Friday denouncing Republicans and conservative outlets for co opting his song. Let's see what he's got to say.
17: It's August twenty fifth, twenty twenty three. A lot's changed since the last time I sat here and spoke to you. Um, my friends and family have asked me how I'm doing. Everybody is wondering if I'm uh, if I've lost my sanity yet, and I'm surprisingly calm and at peace. I've I don't even know what to say, but I I feel thankful to be given this opportunity. Um, you know the music side is exciting and all the billboard iTunes charts and all that crap that's great but uh, what's, the exciting part has been the conversations I've had with people and the things I've learned just in a couple weeks about um, about the human spirit and, um, and and about all sorts of other things the music industry and And how how dirty everything is. Like, it's, it's worse than you think. So I don't know what the future looks like for me. I'm not really too concerned about the future. I'm living in the present. And I'm... I just have to have... I just have to have the discernment to make the right decisions from here on out. Because, um... I think about that guy who was sitting here a few weeks ago talking to you, and uh, the most important thing, and the most important thing to me, is not leaving him behind. I don't want to go on some roller coaster ride and come off a different person. Uh, if there is anything for me to address at all with you, it's that. Uh, You know, it's the one thing that has bothered me is seeing people wrap politics up into this. Uh, I'm disappointed to see, like it's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and, and act like we're fighting the same struggle here, like that we're trying to present the same message. Uh, You know, I've I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and I've tried to be polite to everybody, and um, I've talked to hundreds of people the last two weeks. It seems like certain people want to just ride the attention of this song to maybe make their own selves relevant, and that's aggravating as hell. The other thing that I find aggravating is, uh, well... You know, like, it was funny seeing my song in the... It was fun. It was funny seeing it at the presidential debate. Because it's like, I wrote that song about those people, you know? So for them to have to sit there and listen to that, uh, that cracks me up. <laughs> uh, but it was funny kind of seeing the response to it. Like, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden, you know? It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. Um... That song is written about the people on the on that stage, and a lot more too. Not just them, but but definitely them. It's cool seeing some of my other music come out because people are, I guess, starting to appreciate and understand what it is I'm really trying to say. It's hard to get a message out about about your political ideology or your belief about the world in three minutes and some change. Um, but I hate I do hate to see that song being weaponized, like I see. I see the right trying to characterize me as one of their own, and I see the left trying to um, trying to discredit me, I guess in retaliation. Uh, that shit's gotta stop. If you watch the response videos on YouTube to this song, it's not conservative people responding to the song. It's not even necessarily Americans responding to the song. Um, I don't know that I've seen anything get... Such positive response from such a diverse group of people. And I think that terrifies the people that I sing about in that song. And they've done everything they can the last two weeks to make me look like a fool, to spin my words, to try to stick me in a political bucket. And they can keep trying. (laughs) But I'm just gonna keep on writing. And I've got a lot of words to put down on paper, and I've got, I've got a lot of songs, to put the chords. And um, I don't know what my music career is going to look like. I don't know how many shows I'm going to do and how many tours I'm going to put on. But I am going to stay true to my word. I'm, I'm going to write. I'm going to write, produce, and distribute authentic music that represents people, and not politics. I do feel compelled to address something. Um, Since I have addressed the conservatives, I do need to address the left as well. Because they're sending a message out that 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 initial song that sort of shot me up the radar, Richmond North of Richmond, is is an attack against the poor. If you listen to my other music, it's obvious that all of my songs that reference class defend the poor. Uh, Doggone it's a good example of that. Needles in the street, folks hardly surviving on sidewalks next to highways full of cars self-driving. The poor keep hurting and the rich keep thriving. Like that's what I like to sing about. And you know the English language is interpretive and so I do understand like there may be some people who who misunderstood my words in Richmond north of Richmond. But I've got to be clear that my message like with any of my songs It references the inefficiencies of the government because of the politicians within it that are engulfed in bribes and extortion and you know the words say that there's people on the street with nothing to eat in the obese milk and welfare. That references a news article I read earlier this summer that adolescent kids in Richmond are missing meals over the summer because their parents can't afford to feed them and they're not in school to eat cafeteria lunch. And meanwhile, I think like 30 or 40 percent of the food bought with welfare or EBT money is um, is in a classification of like snack food and soda. I think 10 percent spent on soda and I want to say like 20 or 30 percent spent on junk food. And that's not the fault of those people. Uh, welfare only makes up a, a small percentage of our budget. You know, we can, we can fuel a proxy war in a foreign land, but we can't take care of our own. That's all the song's trying to say. It's just saying that the government takes people who are needy-dependent and makes them needy-independent. And at some point I will dissect all my lyrics of all my songs, if that's what I need to do. I mean, 30-some million people understood what I was saying. But it only takes a few to try to uh, derail the train, you know, to try to send out false narratives. And I'm sure there'll be more of that to come. It's like, uh, it's driving people crazy to see the unity that's come from this, from all walks. This isn't a Republican and Democrat thing. This isn't even a, a, a United States thing. Like, this has been a global response. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Go on YouTube and watch all the response videos, you know? And don't shoot the messenger. Like, I'm a nobody. It's my belief that divine intervention has put me in this position in this point in time to get a message across, and that's all there is to it. Like, I'm nobody special, you know? I... I, I feel terrible almost that I've been put in this place because there there are a lot of artists and musicians out there that are far more talented that have put in way more hours than me. Like I don't deserve, I, I don't deserve to sit in the top five places on the iTunes charts. And the truth is, I really could give a shit less about the iTunes charts. What I care about is connecting with people. What I care about is. I don't I don't know what this country is going to look like in 10 or 20 years if things don't change. I don't know what this world's going to look like. And like something has to be done about it, you know? There's been too many people die. There's been too many people sacrifice everything they've had. People die before they even before they're even 18, you know? Just so for us to all sit here and just do the stupid shit it is that we do every day that keeps us all all beat down and divided like that's what i want to see stop and i'm gonna do everything i can to influence that at all costs even if it does um even if it does throw my world upside down it's what it's well worth it but for now i'm hanging in there and i'm i'm doing what i can And and I I really appreciate everybody who's along for the ride. So, uh, there's a lot more to come, and I'm excited for it. And I'll see you on the next one.
10: Okay, well, there is what you would call an eloquent young man. And... He is singing about the things we talk about on this show, about selling your soul. I want to get Billy Bragg back here. This is Billy Bragg's response to the song, and it's called Rich Men Earning North of a Million.
3: If you're selling your soul, working all day Overtime hours for bullshit pay Well, nothing's gonna change If all you do is wish you could wake up And it not be true, join a union Fight for better pay, you better join a union Organized today, you'll see where the problem really lies when the union comes around. Rich men earning north of a million want to keep the working folk down. Want to keep the working folk down. Form a union, you'll soon find that working people are all of one kind So we ain't gonna punch down on those who need a bit of understanding and some solidarity That ain't right friend If you're struggling with your health and you're putting on the pounds Doctor gives you opiates to help you get around Well, wouldn't it be better for folks like you and me If medicine was subsidized and healthcare was free Join a union Fight for better pay Come on and join a union, sister organized today it comes down to the self-same thing if you're black or white or brown rich men earning north of a million want to keep the working folk down want to keep the working folk down know your culture wars are there to distract While libertarian billionaires avoid paying tax You want to talk about bathrooms while the floodwaters rise The forest is on fire and the wind burns our eyes <sighs> Something's wrong here well, they wanna divide us because together we're strong. Are you gonna take action now? You sung your damn song. If you don't like the rich man having total control, you better get the union to roll. Join a union. Fight for better pay. Come on and join. Organized today. Don't matter if you live in the city or some little country town. Rich men earning north of a million. Rich men earning north of a million. I say rich men earning north of a million. Wanna keep the working folk down. Wanna keep the working folk. So and you're working all day overtime hours for bullshit pay join a union.
10: Now to a little uh, Willie Dixon. going to take a short break. Be right back with you. All
2: night long. All oh, night long. Be my friend. One kiss, one kiss before I say goodbye. If I don't love you, baby, I swear I, I hope to die. Slow down. We'll get there. Take your time. Don't walk so fast. That's the way to relax. Now, watch this. Boy, is it hot today? All you got to do is push. Keep on walking, walking the blues. (sighs) That's what I call gliding low. Sometimes I act a fool This pain in my heart Is only here for you This pain in my heart It makes me sigh Sometime I'm laughing again It makes me cry This pain in my heart Makes you Sometimes it's good again. I feel so bad. There's pain in my heart. The worst I. time is good again I feel so bad there's pain in my heart the worst I When the going get tough, I got a whole naked bit ill. A hidden door behind grandpa's clock got. 20- You nearly driving me crazy, because I want you for my baby. track And back.
10: Well, okay. It was our interlude. I had to take care of some business. It was our interlude of Willie Dixon. Of our favorite. Conscientious objectors. Back now, we just finished with Billy Bragg and a uh, whole controversy around the song "Rich Men North of Richmond." The country is sick, okay, and we've got to look at it. A woman who was. Flying a flag. Well, let's just listen to Bituation. <coughs> Called Hate Kills. Nothing's coming.
2: Free and a mind. The world Trouble where is it all? You have got a strong brain, and mine is broad. You know the
10: He was a man who wrote about Chicano issues, things like police brutality, the underrepresentation of Latinos, uh, voting restrictions, the poverty of a lot of Latino people. And he was killed. Not clear how exactly he was killed. Let's let's listen.
18: Ruben Salazar was an award-winning journalist at the Los Angeles Times who later became a columnist for the newspaper and a news director for Spanish-language KMEX-TV. On August 29, 1970, Salazar was covering the National Chicano Moratorium against the Vietnam War in East Los Angeles. Deputies fired tear gas into the crowds after reports of looting, and officers and protesters clashed. Three people died, including Salazar, who was slain by a deputy who fired a tear gas missile into the Silver Dollar bar, where the newsman had stopped to take a break. To this day, questions remain unanswered about Salazar's slain. The Times recently requested records from LA County Sheriff Lee Baca. On LA's east side, artists are preparing a play called The Silver Dollar. They say Baca should open, the Salazar files. My name is Abel Abel Salas. I'm 44 years old and I think Sheriff Bakas should definitely release those records regarding or relating to the suspicious slaying of journalist Ruben Salazar in um, 1970 on August 29th. I think Ruben represented the best that this community had ever produced. Uh, a lot of us still remember and revere what he did. Activists say that in 1970, coroner's inquest into the newsman slain never really investigated what happened that afternoon at the Silver Dollar. Filmmaker Jesus Salvador Trevino covered the 16-day inquest for KCET-TV.
11: There were two alternate theories or or versions of what had happened and how Ruben Salazar had been killed. According to the sheriffs, um, there had been, um, someone had seen Three individuals entered the silver dollar bar um, with guns. And uh, this was the pretext on which the, poli- the sheriffs, several sheriffs' uh, squad cars had circled the, um, the silver dollar bar and according to the sheriffs, they had called for people to come out. When no one came out, uh, they fired tear gas canisters into the silver dollar bar and it was one of these uh, canisters, a 12-inch flight-right uh, missile that uh, hit uh, Salazar uh, and killed him. At the time, the uh, all other version of the story uh, was, and this was, you know, not only all the people in the bar, but also people across the street, they attested to the fact that there, in fact, were no people coming into the bar with guns that, in fact, several people had tried to get out of the bar when the police, when the sheriff showed up, and the sheriff's officers ushered them back into the bar and wouldn't let them leave. So all of these, of course, uh, 40 years later, you look back on this. I remember at the time uh, reflecting and thinking that there are events that go down in history, um, events like the, the Scottsboro case, for example, and you think... How could that have taken place? How could such an injustice have taken place? Um, And I realized at the time, my gosh, this is one of those events. I'm living through this great injustice taking place and I will look back later on in time, I will look back on this and and I will realize that we allowed it to happen and, and there was nothing we could do.
10: So that's the story Mm -hmm. of uh, Ruben Salazar, still an open case. Still, people have questions about it. Still, there's, of course, the possibility that he was hunted down and murdered. Um, Maybe he stepped on too many toes, huh? Okay, how Montana youth turned the tables and won an unprecedented victory. First time in U.S. history, a judge ruled young people have a right to a livable climate. We got Canadian wildfires, we've got 103 waters off Florida, hurricanes hitting California, signs of an overheating globe are everywhere In such devastation, youth climate activists in Montana have scored a precedent-setting victory. For the first time, in in U.S. history, a court has ruled that young people have the right to a livable climate. In Held versus the State of Montana, District Court Judge Kathy Seeley ruled the state must safeguard 16 young plaintiffs' right to a clean and healthful environment, which is protected by Montana's Constitution. Thiele also clarified that the climate crisis threatens this fundamental right. The ruling clarified the climate crisis threatens, and it overturned Montana House Bill 971. Legislation passed earlier this year to prohibit state agencies from considering climate impacts for fossil fuel or other development projects. Who says that the legislatures are not in the pocket of the rich? We hope this victory helps people move past their feelings of powerlessness and gloom and doom surrounding climate change, says Winona Bateman, Executive Director of Families for a Livable Climate. It is notable that this first of its kind ruling by a court in the United States came from a major fossil fuel producing region. Montana is the country's fourth largest Coal mining site, U.S. energy information. Constitution reads, adopted in 1972. The state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and helpful environment in Montana, present and future generations. That's on the In These Times website. We'd like to get to this one, but not getting any sound. Well, we're not getting it. (coughs) Have to cover that one next week. Go out with, and next week we'll cover the Teamsters and their new pack. about, this is labor and love, program where we tell you how it is. If One person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. Never but never let anyone into your heart It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Goodbye and good work. See you, hear you, talk to you next week. If I'm lucky. We have unions, is because people don't
11: do the right thing.
10: We're going out to carry Mirage. I want to remind you about the delicious food at Los Jalitos. What's not Los Jalitos? There's a whole story behind that. San Jalisco. Como Mexico, no hay dos, y como San Jalisco, tampoco. For over 40 years, the Ibarra family has been serving up the very best in Mexican food to the people of San Francisco. What's your favorite? Enchiladas? Tacos? Chilaquiles? Ultimate in birria? best salsa and chips in town, brought to you before you order. How about your favorite vegetarian? Omelets, burritos, and tacos. They got them. Find them all and more at San Jalisco, corner of 20th and South Van Ness, in the very heart of the mission. Come on down to San Jalisco, where the food tells you you're in Mexico.
4: The be pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio dot fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny radio dot fm has the best programming. The internet ocean has to offer ya. I bet my peg leg on it. Or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat.
7: Homy <laughs> Patrick go. Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m. It's Joke Workshop, streaming live on mutinyradio.com. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be in that comedy. In the five shakhasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene, this all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing 2 to $5 dollars at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special at the Mutiny Radio Studio and Gallery Performance Space, 2781 21st Street, at Florida Street, in the deep, deep, deep mission, every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you. Namaste.
8: Tuesday used to be the most
5: unlikely night for fun, but every weekend, and see comics work out new material for free.
17: For free.
7: They get your Tuesday night party on. two for one-well drink special. <laughs> 8
14: p.m. Oh, check out Eventbrite to reserve your free
7: seat every
8: Tuesday, 6 p.m.
14: At OMG
4: on Savory 6th Street.
8: Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up.
5: <laughs> hey, kids, it's your pals. <laughs> Sorry! Spitterman! Automotor! That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You Do that right. This is in San Francisco. I'll drown it on. I'll d- it's nap time.
18: Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the bar on Dolores, 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of
8: laughter for free.
18: And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it will become a Can Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please, reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh.
5: Happy, happy Hour. The uh, comedy is the cheapest. Happy Hour. The most free, two-hour, hour-long comedy on the radio.
4: Dog friendly. Dog
5: fri- We are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog friendly.
7: A dog party.
5: Ain't no party like a dog party, <laughs> <laughs> party at Mutiny
7: Radio.
4: Every Friday, dog party <laughs>
7: at Mutiny Radio. Yeah. Happy <laughs> hour. <laughs> Two seven eight one twenty first Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. Dot FM. Here.
5: All in all crusties, punks and posers, pick your posteriors up off the pavement, pack up your pins and patches, and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Best Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress through and dress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed dress right here at the Pacific Northwest <laughs> Best Fest. <laughs> With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing. Walmart, is and everything in between, all in one place,
7: one day only.
5: Unless it's a jacket, you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere. Never pay for fabric you don't need, but Ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Best Fest this Saturday only at Tag. Bring a can of PBR, get it half
8: price. <laughs>
7: daddy, daddy, what are we going to do today?
18: 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon we
8: Maybe Get the,
7: the ball, up all your Twizzle, but not too much. Hey, Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho... You take it with the freezers.
13: Freezer-va-
7: Reservations on Eventbrite. L.S.D. Fap! Acid and
0: fapping, fapping and acid, acid fapping That song is called Acid and Fapping. San Francisco
8: Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Radio. Listen to live streaming radio. Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. Listen to live streaming radio. Podcasting you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco <laughs> I was well, just like, leaving
0: the but theater. I <sighs> convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with the light interior. I drove it up here.
7: And I started to do some thinking.
0: On the freeway and I'm having okay. a really, really
2: good time. Flat, black, Saturday, two. The freeway. I am a right. I am teddy,
1: and adolescent. And I will cut
2: the shit.
0: Henry!
5: Charlie
2: here! Yeah! I have a report here, Henry, from your, um, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. Uh, she makes some accusations, Henry. Anyway. Uh, I find
0: it very really hard to believe. Uh,
5: Captain
8: Curls, up in the head. Mutiny Radio Festival, Ahoy. Ah,
4: very good. Ah, very good legless, Joe. I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. And to get ready, crew, the festival is upon us.